Do you feel like you're going through your life alone? Does your faith feel far off, abstract, and theoretical? Do you only talk to God once or twice a week? Does your soul ache for a moment-to-moment -moment communion with your Heavenly Father? Many of us feel dissatisfied and want to grow in these areas, but don't know how to do it. The inward mind and heart of man are deep, and figuring it all out on your own can feel overwhelming. What if you had a guide, a model to emulate, an example to follow? Ask your pastor about the Psalms. With the Psalms, you can voice your thoughts and feelings to God in any moment of your life. The Psalms are a carefully curated, time-tested collection of prayers that teach you to give your presence and attention to God in moments of elation, torment, heartache, boredom, gratitude, temptation, vengeance, repentance, unanswered prayer, and despair. Life will throw a lot at you, but the Psalms will be there to guide you in any and every circumstance, guaranteed. Don't move away from the hard reality of your life. Move toward it. When you're, if you're fighting off a cold, celebrating a promotion at work, or burying a loved one, God is ready and available to love you and dwell with you through the understanding of His presence that will be instilled by the Psalms. Side effects include an acute reduction in nihilism and solipsism. It may result in peace that surpasses all understanding. So steep your soul in the Psalms and see what happens. All right, so I think announcements are next. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry about that. It was an idea that I couldn't really <laughs> Thank you, Chelsea. Um, my name is Grant. I am, I've been a member of this church since it started in 2013. I love this church. I'm excited to be speaking to y'all, and I hope that um, this can be useful. Uh, so we're in a series called The Good News in the Old Testament, and as you can tell, we're talking about the Psalms today, and when I was asked to do one of these sermons, it was kind of an easy choice because I've been neglecting and ignoring the entire Bible for the last two and a half years, except for the Psalms. So <laughs> that was kind of a no-brainer. So that's what we're talking about. Um, this isn't going to be like an objective, well-rounded introduction to the Psalms. These are some specific, particular things that have been on my heart for our church regarding the Psalms. And so you might be wondering, like, okay, I know it's in there, but like, I'm not particularly interested. Why would I take an interest in the Psalms? Um, why is it like important or valuable for my life? Or uh, I guess the question from this sermon series is, where's the good news for us in the Psalms? Um, but I don't want to assume anything. You might not even know what the Psalms are. So I'll give some basic facts about it, about that book. It's a book of the Bible. Uh, it's a collection of prayers. There's 150 of them. Each chapter is a prayer. So normally the chapters are kind of like superimposed and it doesn't make a ton of sense to go chapter by chapter. But in the Psalms, that's actually exactly the way that you should think about it. It's one chapter at a time. Um, it's in the Old Testament. So it th they throw in a lot of references to like people and geography and stuff that can be kind of... Um... Are you signaling to me? No. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> I was like, is there something on my neck? Um, but yeah, so they'll throw in a lot of references to geography and people and stuff that might be kind of confusing. But So if you're going to crack it open, uh, be curious about that stuff, not discouraged. Uh, it's meant, there are many authors. It was written and compiled over the course of multiple centuries. It's the longest book in the Bible. No, 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 third longest book in the Bible after Jeremiah and Genesis. And it often relates to the Old Testament history books like Samuel, Chronicles, Kings, those kind of things. Um, 
for example, Leslie preached about the story of David and Bathsheba, which is in 2 Samuel, but David's prayer of repentance after the prophet confronted him on his sin is in Psalm 51. So there's certain parts where it adds a lot of like color and poetry to stories that we have from other books of the Bible. So that's a little bit about what the Psalms are, and so let's get into the question, why would I take an interest in this book? And I have three answers. And so the first one is... The Psalms teach us how to be attentive to God in all times of life. Um, I got a little carried away and made all of my points haikus, which is a Japanese form of poetry where you have three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, five, seven, five. And so kind of, I was like almost there on some of them. And I was like, well, if I just tweaked it and then all three of them. So maybe that's kind of appropriate because it's like poetry to talk about a book of poetry. That's how I justify it to myself, but we'll see if it, had, if it helps anyone in any way, but I just thought you might like to know. So the Psalms teach us how to be attentive to God in all times of life. The Psalms have a, a very wide content of like the kind of life circumstances that they're addressing and speaking out of, uh, and they paint a picture of life that is not a, a whitewashed, sanitized version of life at all. <laughs> It's not um, moralizing, trying to like, make you the right kind of person that you're not yet. It's not a cleansed version of the human experience. It's a very deep, rich, and sometimes dark representation of the human experience. And so what kind of life circumstances are we talking about? I have like a sampling where I'm just going to read lots of quick little snippets. Um, this is a, a wide but incomplete sampling. So here's one life circumstance. Accusing God. <laughs> Psalm 82.2 says, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? That's a prayer that's directed to God in this book that's like modeling for us how to pray. It's a little bit challenging because it kind of assumes that God is being un- defending the unjust and showing partiality to the wicked. That's a little weird, right? Or Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Okay, here's another life circumstance. Finding comfort in God. A really famous line is, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another example is in Psalm 139. It says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And speaking of Psalm 139, another life circumstance is profound like contemplation and worship of God. It says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And the whole psalm is these really kind of lofty thoughts about God. And that line about when I awake, I am still with you, it's like, was this some kind of a dream or vision or something? Like, you know, that's certainly a life circumstance. Another one is crying out to God for help. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. You save and deliver me from all uh, save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. It's pretty blunt. The Psalms often have this like vivid imagery like that. Another one is hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. Another life circumstance is Okay, you have crying out to God for help, and then maybe he helps you, and maybe you're praising him for having helped you. A couple examples of that would be uh, Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. 
This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Another example is Psalm 118. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Another example of a life circumstance is crying out to God for forgiveness. I just talked about the whole David and Bathsheba thing in Psalm 51, which says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great transgression, sorry, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Another life circumstance, I think this is, no, I have two more. <laughs> two more. Uh, shouting praise to God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Another life circumstance is despair. <laughs> Psalm 88 is the darkest psalm. It says, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. That one is a pretty profound psalm because in general, like the anatomy of a lament psalm is that you have the top part where you lay out your, your complaints, your grief, your heartache, your, your lament, and then the second half is where you don't necessarily get saved out of it yet, but you say, nonetheless, even though I'm in this pit, I will put my faith in your promises, God. I still have my hope in you. But this psalm doesn't even have that. It just it ends with darkness is my closest friend. And so that is kind of um, pretty profound to me because it's like sometimes we don't know how to get ourselves back to a reaffirmation of our faith. Yeah. But the psalmist doesn't just despair into the abyss. He's talking to God, and he addresses God by his covenant name and says, God, I'm crying out to you. I'm looking to you. And so even in a forsaken place, the psalmist can still cry out to God. And even in a forsaken place, you still have this capacity to cry out to God. So that was a, a wide, but yet, believe me or not, incomplete sampling of the kind of stuff that the psalmists deal with and are about. The psalmist is... Uh, he might be impatient or angry or even pretty dark or unsparing, but always attentive. He's saying, God, I'm looking to you. I'm attending to you. Are you going to help me? And every kind of experience is one in which it's possible to fix your attention on God. So the psalmist is many things, but always attentive to God. May that be said of us. That we, are, we have been many things, but always attentive to God. You know, Ryan was many things, but he was always attentive to God. Even in, the, even in the bad times, Chelsea was always talking to God about what she was going through. Leslie stayed close to God no matter what. So the Psalms, what does it say? Teach us how to be attentive to God in all times of life. That's the first point. That's the first article of good news in, in this sermon. <laughs> okay, second point. The Psalms shepherd us not through our wishful daydreams, but through our real lives. The Psalms don't guide us through the lives we would like to imagine we live. They guide us through the lives that we actually live. And I think that's part of what makes them pretty unappealing. I think for most of my Christian life, I've wanted to have my like, devotional times or worship times. I want to like, push away like, my negative memories of the things I did that I'm ashamed of or the kind of hard life circumstances that I'm in. I'm trying to like, forget about all that and just float up into the clouds. 
And if you try to use the Psalms to, to help you do that, they won't let you. They will wrestle you back down <laughs> and put your feet on the ground. Um, and so there's something kind of deeply countercultural about that uh, with the Psalms and for us. There's something about American culture, the way that like commercialism and advertising and just the American dream of prosperity and the good life that is just trying to deny the tragedy and hardship of life as best it can. And it holds out this hope and expectation that our salaries will get bigger and bigger and inflation is going to slow down and your houses are going to get bigger and bigger throughout your life and there's going to be more and more increasingly delightful experiences on offer. Um, but the cracks are really starting to show in that narrative the last several years. I think a lot of us are kind of feeling that and making that transition. And the Christian story and worldview is a funny thing. It's kind of paradoxical. On the one hand, it is childlike and optimistic to the point of sounding stupidly naive. <laughs> like when Jesus says, you know, look at the birds of the air. They're not storing up food all the time and God feeds them. So is, is he not going to feed you? You're more important than birds. Or which of you fathers, if your son asked you for bread, would give him a stone? You know how to feed your children, and so ask God for good things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. That sounds pretty childlike and optimistic. Like, have you lived in this world? Like, <laughs> you know? But on the other hand, the Christian story is unbelievably dark and tragic. And that profound light and optimism that's in the Christian story is surrounded by a wide, deep darkness. And so if seasons of your life or things that you find in your heart are, are dark and evil and tragic, that's not a failure of your Christian worldview. As people who believe in God's word, we are not under-resourced for dealing with the dark and tragic parts of life. I just want to like give another kind of smattering, <laughs> that's a weird word, smattering of examples of how the, how the, the Bible has a really real and robust acknowledgement of the way the world is. Um, so, first example is several of the Psalms I already read, they model an unflinching honesty about the pain and tragedy and injustice that we find in this life. Or Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And that secret is that Christ gives him the strength to endure those things. In John 3.19, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Matthew uh, 5, 3 to 10. Uh, Beatitudes, like we've been talking about in worship. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Isaiah 53, which... Christians generally take to be a prophecy about Jesus, says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that's the guy that we're all trying to follow here. <laughs> and First Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And in Paul's letters, he calls the devil the god of this age. That's not a very optimistic view of the way the world is right now. And Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's both sides of that paradox jammed right next to each other. Where are my uh, Gen Z people at? Heck yeah, I promise I'm going to be nice. You can raise your hand. <laughs> you guys are crushing it. You're putting up some really impressive numbers, but unfortunately, mostly in the realm of anxiety and depression. <laughs> 
my bad. Um, you guys are, and this isn't just for technically Gen Z, but also if you're like Gen Z in spirit, and there's a lot of commonality between all the generations, so. Um, but yeah, you guys are a, a deeply cynical, disillusioned, and despairing generation. You're welcome. But I have hope for you guys, because y'all never bought the lie that life could be so rosy. That your salaries are going to grow, that your houses are going to get bigger, that the economy is going to do fine, that the politicians are about to get everything worked out. You're smart enough not to believe in the false hopes that captivated the people who came before you. But perhaps you're not yet foolish enough to see the hope you have in Jesus. And I suspect that the enemy wants to swallow you up in that despair. But I think the Holy Spirit has other plans for you. Not to whisk you up into the clouds where you can have an untroubled life. But to guide you out through the bottom of that despair and to plant your feet on the solid foundation of Jesus and his teachings. And, you know, I shared about that dream last week and people have told me what it meant to them and most of that is like the false foundation is like a, uh, a false hope or a false expectation or a lie or something like that or, or a sin. Um, and then getting that, tearing that out and getting down to the real foundation is kind of a theme that's come up a lot. And that's kind of a convenient image for this. Like maybe you actually haven't found the floor of your house yet. Yeah, and if you look... If you look deeply into that despair and all the way out the bottom, maybe you'll see God nailed to a cross. Maybe you can begin to understand why people have been gazing at crosses and crucifixes for thousands of years. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't think there's any, anything really underneath the crucifixion to deal with that. We like to have all these kind of theories about free will and the necessity of free will and how that makes it possible for sin. The Bible never really says that. That's just things we've made up to try to explain it intellectually. But the Bible does give us the image of Jesus on the cross. Not to mention the resurrection and everything that comes after that. Um, so much like the Psalms, I just went to a pretty deep and intense place. But it also needs to be said that the Psalms train us to think our thoughts toward God, even in little mundane moments. Yeah. The other day I was talking to a guy who was like having some conflict with someone and trying to figure out um, a way forward without having to anyone have to get like steamrolled in the relationship. And we were praying and I tried to share some wisdom and I kind of didn't see a whole lot of like openness in him in the conversation. Um, but then he, I found out a few days later that he like really humbled himself and he did, took headed of, <laughs> who knows that reference? Uh-huh. Nailed it. But he really like took headed of the wisdom that was offered to him and like really humbled himself and listened in a way that I kind of wasn't expecting. And so that wasn't like a huge pivotal life moment for me. It was a good like stepping stone for him. But I was just thinking, man, I kind of didn't expect that. And that's so cool that that happened. Thank you, God, for answering our prayer and softening his heart and getting through to him. Or another thought that might be, you know, I really missed these friends that I was with for a long time, and it's so cool to be reconnecting with them over this meal. God, thank you so much that we're getting to have this moment right now. Or it might be, man, I just, I'm finding my job so boring, and I do it for 40 hours a week, and I don't really have any plan to get into it more, something that I understand what I'm doing here. God, can you just meet me in this and guide me through it? You might be feeling something like, you know, I used to fit into these jeans, and I don't right now, and that just kind of makes me feel like a piece of crap. And I know that's not true, 
but that's how I feel, and I can't seem to shake that feeling. God, can you be with me in this and guide me and help me to know what to do about this? None of those are like total mountaintop or total valley of the shadow of death experiences. They're somewhere in the middle, and that's usually where we live. And uh, like I said, I've been (laughs) only reading the Psalms as far as the Bible goes for two and a half years, which is an exaggeration, but it's kind of true. And I've noticed lately that that has started to kind of have an effect on me. Kind of my... I've noticed myself being more present to God in mundane moments. So like the last couple months, I've been sick a lot and got home from a trip, and my dishwasher was broken, and I was like, man, I don't know how to figure this out. I don't want to deal with this. Um, and then I normally would just kind of like push that away or just be real frustrated or try to avoid it or do some stupid thing to cope with those feelings or whatever. <laughs> but um, I've just been like, okay, God, this is, this is where I am. I want to like be in this, and I want to be in it with you, and I want to meet with you in this. So I have some thoughts kind of under this point about, you know, the difference between wishful daydreams versus our actual lives. Um, Some thoughts about worship. And most of these are more applicable for, they would ultimately have to go through people who, like, lead us in worship or whatever. Uh, But some of them are for all of us, just the way we participate. So just a question for us to kind of take away and ponder is, what would it look like if we modeled our communal worship more closely after the Psalms? I have five quick thoughts on what that might look like. I think there would probably be more lament. Uh, Depending on how you define a lament psalm, at at least a quarter of the psalms are lament psalms. That's not like a little afterthought. That's a pretty big feature. And as such, they acknowledge a lot of um, injustice and oppression. Could there be worship songs that we could sing that kind of address that and deal with that and help us to bring those burdens to God? I think there would, be, there would be more crying out to God to make things right that aren't right right now. Perhaps it would be more communal and less individualistic, so more we, us, our, less I, me, my. And I think we, if we all modeled our worship more closely after the Psalms, I think we would have more um, expression, outward expression and enthusiasm. And that's one that our worship leaders can't do any more for us on that than they are already doing, <laughs> you know? And just to be vulnerable with you guys, I, um, as someone who's been at this church a long time and is something of like a lay leader in our community, um, I've been convicted in the last few weeks about how I don't lead our community in that respect. If there's like everyone in this room is tilting the scales either more toward like outward expression and enthusiasm or more toward being kind of awkward and reserved and uh, withdrawn, I've been someone tilting the scales more in that direction. <laughs> and... Uh, the past few weeks after kind of talking to Josh about this, I've been praying, God, I mean, I've tried to just sort of like try to be different. It hasn't worked. <laughs> so I think I need like heart change. Yeah. And I'm just like, God, I, I don't want to uh, stay the same in that respect. Like I want to become more willing to kind of be vulnerable in a, in a group setting like this. And I don't want to just lead in and like thoughtfulness or planning or out of things that are more kind of comfortable or behind the scenes for me. I also want to lead with my heart and with vulnerability. And so if you're like me and you kind of maybe sometimes feel like, man, this song is talking about kneeling. It really seems like it would be appropriate to kneel right now. I want to want to do that, but I don't want to be look, look weird or whatever. And you kind of talk yourself out of your outward expression. Maybe you can join me in praying that. And I'm really not like, I don't feel 
like I'm putting myself down a lot or like really shaming myself or something. I'm just saying, God, I, really, I want to change in this respect. And what I've kind of heard so far is like, well, that, that probably isn't just going to be like a surgical thing that only affects your behavior in worship settings. That's probably going to be more of like a breaking your heart more open in general kind of thing. And so if you're kind of in that same boat with me and feel like more inhibited than you want to be in our worship and that kind of stuff, then maybe you can join me in praying, God, please shape and soften my heart. And so the Psalms shepherd us not through our wishful daydreams, but through our real lives. And uh, the final point of this sermon is the Psalms lower us into Jesus' presence as if through the roof. <laughs> now we're getting into poetry. <laughs> um, yeah, I worked really hard on that one. So what, what I'm saying here is true of all the scriptures, but perhaps it's especially true of the Psalms in some ways. And the, the, the way I worded this um, it's probably obvious to most of you, but there's that story in the Gospels about the paralyzed guy who's trying to get into the room where Jesus is, but it's too crowded, and so his friends make a hole in the roof and lower him down on a rope. So it's like a, a way of getting into Jesus' presence when it seemed like there might not have been any way. And the Psalms are that. They're a way into the presence of Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, what, what I'm saying here is most of it is true of all of the Old Testament and the Scriptures in general, but I think it's true of the Psalms in a way that's kind of special. Um, there's, I came across this quote from St. Athanasius, who lived in the 4th century. This is going to be like the, the real smarty pants part of the sermon. But it's real quick, don't worry. Um, he says, In other books of Scripture, we read or hear the words of holy men as belonging only to those who spoke them, not at all as though they were our own. And in the same way, the doings there narrated are to us material for wonder and examples to be followed, but not in any sense things that we have done ourselves. So that's kind of like a fancy translation of whatever he said, but... He's saying, like, you know, we read scripture and we're reading about things that other people said or that other people did, and they're not things that we said or did. With the Psalms, though, except for the prophecies about the Savior, it is as though you are reading your own words, and anyone that hears them is moved at heart as though they voiced his deepest thoughts. With the Psalms, it's like you're reading your own words, and anyone who hears them is moved at heart as though they voiced his deepest thoughts. A couple months ago in small group, we were reading, we had like two psalms to read, and uh, Hannah McGinty, one of my small group leaders, was like, man, it's kind of hitting me, like, I've always, you know, read the psalms or these prayers in the Bible and thought, oh, that's cool that they prayed like that, but now I'm like, whoa, I could pray like that. (laughs) She's like, could I pray like that? I think I could pray like that. Or Melissa Kalini was saying, you know, one of them was like a lament psalm, and it had something in it like something about crying your eyes out all the time or not eating or not sleeping or something like that. And she was like, man, isn't it weird how in some ways people just don't change? Like that was written so long ago in such a different place, but that sounds so familiar to anyone who's dealt with depression. And so there's something about the Psalms that is just deeply relatable, and it it moves us into a subjective engagement with God. It's kind of like the difference between reading about someone on Wikipedia versus seeing them in person and locking eyes with them. The Psalms are like, okay, it's your turn. (laughs) Now you look at God. And so that's... That's one of the ways that this leads us into the presence of Jesus, is that it encourages us to face him. But there's more to it than that. Um, it doesn't just help us to put our thoughts toward like God in the abstract, but specifically Jesus. Jesus, uh, he quoted the Psalms in the Gospels more than any other book that he quoted. Or depending on how you count, it's tied with, I think, Isaiah. But he was a big fan. He talked about it a lot. Uh, In this sermon, I've already quoted multiple psalms that Jesus quoted from. 
they deeply formed his life, his view of the Father, his worldview, his actions, and his teachings. The Psalms were a big part of the lens that Jesus looked through when he looked at the world. And this is really where this connects up to our theme of apprenticeship to Jesus. We want to be formed by the Psalms the same way that Jesus was. He prayed the Psalms and submitted to them, even unto death, even unto, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is what Jesus prayed on the cross, and which is a quote from Psalm 22. And to kind of make this point of how deeply connected Jesus was to the Psalms and how many touch points there are, I'm just going to look at one chapter, Psalm 119. It's a weird little, I mean, huge chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible by far. And it's a big poem that's just all about God's law. Like, God, thank you so much for your word. It is so true. And this is where we find stability, that kind of stuff. Um, And as I was reading it, there were five ways that I saw it, kind of having these connection points with Jesus' life or his teaching. And this is just what I noticed. And I'm not like some biblical scholar, so there's probably a lot more there. And this is still just one chapter. But I have several, like a quote from Psalm 119 and then how that connects to Jesus' life. I have five of them. It says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Doesn't that sound like Jesus saying, till heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest piece of the law will pass away? It says, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Doesn't that sound like the young Jesus in the temple discussing with the elders or facing the devil in the wilderness or debating with the teachers of the law. Verse 109 says, My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commands. Your laws are my treasure, my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Doesn't that sound like Jesus at the end of his life, in the garden or on the cross? And there's this recurring theme in Psalm 119 of getting up at midnight or at night to meditate on God's law. An example is verse 62, which says, At midnight I rise to thank you for your righteous laws. Doesn't that kind of remind you of Jesus withdrawing to lonely places to pray? And I think it's the very last chapter of Psalm 119, or it's the very last verse. It says, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Doesn't that kind of sound like Jesus' parable of the good shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep and brings him back into the fold? So let's just think about this, and let's just take our faith out of it for a moment and just think about it. Even if Jesus was just a historical figure, he knew the Psalms and almost certainly had the whole book memorized because he quoted it prolifically. (laughs) And he probably had a whole lot of the Old Testament memorized, if not the whole thing, which was common for teachers in his day. So if you... Memorize a chapter of the Psalms or memorize a verse or just crack it open and put your attention on it, you're engaging with something that Jesus carried around in his head all the time. Isn't that kind of a cool thought? (laughs) So let's put our faith back into it now. So the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, inspired that Psalm in the first place all those years ago. And after all this history, came and lived it out and fulfilled it. And then all these years later, is working in us to stir our hearts, like Ryan was saying, to want to engage with the scriptures and with him. So I have dabbled in memorizing one and a half psalms so far. (laughs) And I'm not bragging. I'm really not. Um, I just want to say, like, 
I've memorized scripture in the past, especially like when I was in high school or early college and stuff, and it was always like I'm trying to get information into my mind so that I can use it as I see fit. Like I'm trying to like be ready to deal with temptation or share the gospel or something. And I don't want to disparage those things. Those are definitely good. But kind of a new motivation has come into my heart, which is I, I want to memorize this because Jesus had it memorized. <laughs> and I want to commune more deeply with him and with, through his spirit who dwells in me. And this, the Holy Spirit who Jesus breathed out on the disciples lives in us in all moments. It's kind of back to the first point, like all times of life. And the Psalms give us all kinds of language to engage in that relationship. So the Psalms are a way to not just be, as a matter of fact, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but a way to make eye contact with the Holy Spirit in a metaphorical sense and uh, engage with him and relate with him. And so those are my three points. And to conclude, I wanted to um, read a blog post that I found on the internet a few years ago, which might sound kind of weird, like a weird way to conclude a sermon. Has anyone heard of a musician who goes by Nightbird? We got someone. One person. <laughs> I, I really had no idea. If, I don't even know if she's... I don't think so. Not especially. Um, but yeah, her name is Jane Markzuski. I don't really know a lot about her, um, but this blog post a coworker shared with me years ago, and I was very struck by it. And as I was thinking about all this stuff with the Psalms, it came to mind as like a very real-life, modern-day example of like, what if a psalmist lived nowadays? <laughs> like, what would they what would they write? Because um, she absolutely in this thing that she shares, she absolutely nails like being attentive to God in all life circumstances, not trying to get sucked up into wishful daydreams, but engaging in your real life and finding Jesus in that process. Um, and so it's. Some parts of this are like pretty feminine and might sound a little weird coming out of my mouth, um, but I think she's drawing on her experience of like having been a little girl relating to her father and using that to understand her heavenly father. So without further ado, I'll read this and, uh, and then we'll pray and then I'll be done. I'm going to drink some water. <laughs> I was like, that's probably going to be gross and distracting, so I'll just lean into it. <laughs> All right, so she said, I don't remember most of autumn because my mind, because I lost my mind late in the summer, and for a long time after that, I wasn't in my body. I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far. After the doctor told me I was dying, and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California, and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone, but when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma, and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned a lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. 
But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I'm God's downstairs neighbor. Banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day. Sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses. Sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to prayers that I didn't pray. I look for mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means what is it? That's the question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket that my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the bathroom mat in the afternoon, uh, in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy, and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they, look, because they won't look low enough, and it's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. So I'm going to pray the uh, serenity prayer, and then we'll move on. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, <clears throat> enjoying one moment as a t- at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as we would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if we surrender to your will, so that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.
And there we go. Grant, thanks so much. Um, that was just so sweet and so special. And um, it's hard to follow with announcements, but these are really important things. And one of the things that I want to say, too, that we sometimes try to, to point back to is that we talk about things going on in our community. Um, they, the word announcements doesn't really do it justice. These are things that, that we value. These are our values lived out in our community. And one of those that's going to be happening this week that we had to delay is our prayer time, our prayer meeting as a church um, on, on Thursday night. And we delayed that because of the storms last week. I'd really encourage you. That's such a sweet time to get to hang out together, pray for things that are on your heart specifically, things that are, you know, um, that fr your friends and family members are struggling with, things that are on your heart for our whole community. Um, and that's a way to, to also respond together in worship and prayer in a very psalm-like way together. So I want to make sure that, that I shout that out. That happens at Thursday at, uh, on Thursday at 7. Um, and the next thing is our uh, retreat, which many of you have already uh, registered for. I'm seeing some woohoos over here. Um, if you have not registered for it, um, we know who you are. <laughs> and we're going to find you. Uh, I'm just kidding. But please, please do register as soon as you possibly can. We're getting really close. It's already March, and at the end of March is when our retreat is. And we're going to get a chance to just spend time together, have fun together, worship God longer, and have just less time constraints. It's going to be really sweet. I don't want you to miss it, so please come. The next thing is the Dolores' meal train, and they are here today. Uh, they made it. We love them. Sorry, I shouldn't have like, just pointed to them while they're in the middle of dealing with stuff and everybody looking at them. Um, but we want to continue helping them transition into being a family of four and keep giving them food and stuff. There were a lot of slots open when I looked a couple days ago, so I just want you guys to, to know that there's still room there for either bringing something to them that you make or just door dashing them something or something like that. It doesn't have to be something you, uh, if you're not a culinary artist, that's okay. We just want to keep them fed, keep them happy, keep them alive. We love the Dolores family, so we want to help them in this time. Yep. The next thing is... Um, Spark is happening two weekends from now, or wait, that's one weekend from now. There we go. I even just said it's March a second ago, and then I forgot immediately. Um, this is for if you are transitioning into this season of life, and even, you know, Grant talked about this, but just this, this level of so many things happening in our lives in our mid-20s, and our faith is at the center of a lot of things that need to change and grow and, you know, refresh and all that stuff. And that's why our family of churches has done this, is to get our, this group of people together to talk about this together, to have relationships with each other, and learn how to be God's people in this generation that is entering the workforce and entering neighborhoods and all that stuff. So please don't miss that. Details behind me. And then the next thing, the weekend after that, is Ronnie's workshop, which is actually very on on brand for what we've been talking about too this semester is just learning to love the scriptures, to lead with them, to learn about them. And so don't miss that. That is Sunday, March 19th from 2 to 5. Uh, details on the QR code there for registering and all that, that stuff. It's going to be really cool. And uh, you guys will have a little bit of a leg up because we've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament and earning some points there. So, um, but yeah, definitely if that's something that your heart has been kind of resistant to or you've just realized by yourself, I would encourage you to check this workshop out. I think it'd be really helpful. Um, and the next thing is giving. You can give a one-time gift or recurring gift at DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate. You can also do that on Venmo at DentonNorthChurch. And um, those details are behind me here. And then we have, this is sort of a bonus announcement that's going to take a couple of slides. And so I want your attention. If you're a focus student, you might have already heard about this stuff. But basically, can we put that first focus slide up? Uh, there we go. Yes. So 
this there's just a this is a limited time thing for us to help uh, focus out at any other you know campus ministry. But basically, the uh, Department of Education is thinking about removing some language that just protects student organizations that are religious, all of them, just all kinds of religious student organizations that they've had language to protect that constitutional right on campuses. And they're thinking about removing that phrase from their you know rules or whatever. And so there's a, t- a period of time if you go to the next slide. Yeah, so here's some details about why it's important. I mean, like, universities can be all over the map, but they can, you know, do what they want in terms of different student organizations that they seem, they feel like are valuable to their student life or aren't. And the, you know, Department of Education protecting that has been really helpful and really important for something that we think is really important. We really think that Focus and other campus ministries are important to student life, and a really good option we want to make sure is offered and available and has the um, just ability to use campus facilities and things like that to meet. And so, uh, the next slide, please. So, um, you know what? I'm actually going to post these because I want to move a little bit faster than this. We'll post these on Mighty Networks. Go to the final slide. Basically, this is, the, this is the, the part that's important about time, is that we just have a chance to respond and say what we think about this, but it's a really short amount of time. It's until March 24th that we can just say that as citizens, as people who've benefited from a campus ministry, as citizens of a city, uh, college town, what we think about this and why we think it'd be helpful for religious student organizations to be protected and be allowed to meet and why we think it's beneficial for students. And so if you go to anyfocus.org slash campus access, there's more information there and even just a guide about how to submit a comment and how to um, you know, do all of that. Just trying to help you through the process step by step. Um, but I'm going to post these things so you can read them because there's a lot of text there. So I apologize about that. I'll take just one question real quick if, if someone has a burning question on their mind that, that I didn't make clear while we're all here. What did you say? How dare they? How dare they? Yeah, it's, it's complicated stuff. Honestly, the difficulty is that this is still protected of the Constitution. It's just that you'd have to appeal through your, your, your specific college. And so imagining students trying to figure that process out to say, hey, we think this organization is valuable to us, and we feel like it's, it's our right to do that, and having to go through all the appeals process, at least when I was a student, that's expecting a lot of me uh, that I wouldn't know how to do and also wouldn't have the resources to do and wouldn't have the uh, experience to do. Yes, Shayla? Yeah. Also, I, I'm, Casey probably could have asked you to do this instead of me. So, no, you're, you're doing an excellent job, actually. So um, they're still protected under the First Amendment. but So not only do students not know their rights when it comes to appealing through the university for the most part, they're now wanting to relegate it through the, uh, the court system, which could take up to like three to four years in litigation, which means if, let's say, UNT decided to ban focus, we lose an entire generation of students that don't have access to a campus ministry because they were being discriminated against. Does that make sense? So like, oh, it's protected, it's redundant, but it's like it opens a can of worms in terms of protection and actually keeping it would protect the universities from costly lawsuits and the students from costly lawsuits. So is that helpful? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the kind of money that it takes to like do some uh, legal stuff, and I don't know if you guys do either, but... Basically, this is, and, and regardless, we're going to just trust God with this, and we want to pray and do whatever we can during the time period. Yes, Vianette? Yeah, so that's probably across the board depending on the specific campus, but in terms of even, like, getting meeting space, that's been a difficulty, and that's obviously one key thing for all student organizations being able to use campus facilities. 
um, but it opens a path where um, student organizations that aren't religious and that are start to be divided against, basically. There's different sort of things, language protecting different ones, if that makes sense. But the actual specific things that have happened on different campuses is a good question. I don't have an answer for you there so far in our um, experience. There we go. This is actually, it was on the previous slide as well. Oh, yeah. So this actually, there's something like this that happened in one of the universities in California where Chi Alpha, they required their student leaders to be Christians and someone complained, that's not fair. They briefly got removed, temporarily got removed from campus. It didn't make sense because other groups on campus, whether it was like a feminist group, if you're gonna be a leader in this group, you have to be a feminist. If you were a Democrat in this group, like a Young Democrats Association, I made that up, I don't know if that's real, but you'd have to be a Democrat, but they didn't like that it required the students who were like in positions of leadership or facilitation to be Christian. So that is one of the ways where it's kind of like, but what, yeah. <laughs> you know? But eventually they got reinstated. Yeah. I'll stay up here with you. Yeah, and also more, yeah, if there's another question, uh, even, even more simply too, like fraternities and sororities, they can have requirements about, you know, uh, what requires yeah, fraternities have to be men, sororities have to be women, and also other requirements to even be involved in, in it and all that kind of stuff. So it's normal for student organizations to have sort of basic requirements for leading in it, but um, with religious student organizations, that's starting to be something that's called into question, but it's not really called into question for non-religious student organizations. So uh, we'll post these slides. More questions? Oh, yes. If you feel like your rights are being violated, go to the court system. Because we all know taking stuff to court is very easy and smooth, and everyone wins at the end. They're, they're saying it's redundant because it's protected by the First Amendment. So they're taking, yeah, they're kind of like removing this thing that's going to create a lot more barriers. So, yeah. Either way, we are going to just trust God completely. But just the idea that we have time to, like, do public commenting on this stuff and just say like, what we think about it and what we think might be lost there or potential problems down the road, even if there's not something currently, but you're like, hey, I can see this getting dicey in a future hypothetical scenario. Whatever that is, I think it's just we have the ability to comment. They clearly want to hear what what this kind of decision, what would it, how it affects different people and stakeholders. For some, it doesn't affect them at all. For us, we think it would. And so um, we'd love for you guys to go put a comment on there and, and help them just hear really good data qualitative data from us but this is not a you know scary like we don't want to scare you and this is not like the end of the world kind of thing you know the church has suffered many things and this might not even be suffering who knows it's not ours to say but we are going to continue doing what God wants us to do regardless of what the conditions are or whatever so don't be worried about it we're going to spend some time praying about it here Don you can go and come up and then also yes and then also we're going to pray about this at our prayer meeting on Thursday Shayla so when you, there's, um, that link will, it tells you everything you need to know if you decide to make a public comment. It's more almost like posting a public letter, and it'll give you very specific instructions. And there's even a, a draft letter that you can read and then make your own that you can submit. So, like, don't be self-conscious about, what do I say? Like, is my opinion even important? If you feel, like, desire to do that, we've made it very easy, very helpful. There's a draft letter you can copy and paste and then upload. Okay, cool. Don. Uh, oh, Claudia is going to announce something.
Oh, well, hey, there's incentive, puppies and breakfast. That's awesome. Grant, I know you didn't ask for this, but thank you. That was amazing. One of the joys of being one of the older people here at uh, Denton North is we get to see you guys grow and become amazing people. Not because of you, but because of God. Him working in you. Grant is one of those examples, and having known him way back when, you know, it's amazing. Now, you've inspired me when I do my sermon. Yes, Don's going to preach. Ah, well, yeah, get ready. That'll be scary. Uh, I'm going to have like that little music background. See, I'm learning so much from you guys. But honestly, thank you for uh, blessing us with that message. You know, that's it's amazing. Thank you. Oh, so much going on. But, you know, God's got it. That's, that's the thing we have to remember. And, you know, thank you for the information about focus and campus. And, uh, you know, the last thing we do is let that go right past us and we miss out on an opportunity. But God is going to take care of us. Yeah. You know, he's, <laughs> I've, I've said this before many times. He is taking care of using me. Okay, we'll just do non here for a second. He has taken care of me in some of the most bleakest, darkest moments in my life. And a lot of times I had to kind of get dragged into that because I couldn't trust it. I didn't trust God. But, you know, he just keeps showing up and he keeps doing things and he keeps taking care of things. Small things, big things. He's going to take care of us. You know, so let's just keep that in mind. Don't let anything scare you. Crazy stuff going on in this world. But, you know, God is here. God is with us. So we can't go wrong with that. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we lift you up and we just thank you for your presence. Thanks for providing for us the way you do. Thanks for uh, giving us this church family. Thanks for uh, allowing us to be a presence in Denton. Uh, and not only that, but to be a presence on campus. And we lift that up to you, Father. We trust that you're going to take care of this. Um, so many times these things pop up on the radar and we get nervous. Oh, no. And, and we get scared. But help us to not do that. Help us to just trust you. You're going to take care of this. And help us to do things that we can do to help with that. You know, if it means, you know, filling out a little bit of paperwork, you know, putting our thoughts out there. You know, we, we just trust that you'll take that and use it. Uh, God, we are considering a new building. You know that. You've been in that for a long time now. Uh, but we just uh, continue to ask your guidance in that, that you will help us to trust in you to provide um, that particular place, wherever it is. There's a lot of places we're looking at, but you know we're going to trust that just like you led us to MLK, and as you led us here to GDAC, you're going to take us to another amazing place that will meet pretty much all of our needs. Uh, Father, thank you for... Uh, the Doloreses and for their new baby and just for uh, you know kind of reminding us yeah it's from the ground up you're helping us with our babies and making things happen here so we also want to pray for Reagan and John and for Adrian and Ryan with their babies coming and uh, and more babies in the future for others you know just throwing that out there I know God's going to take care of that uh, and God thanks for the retreat that's coming up I am so excited uh, that it's not going to conflict with a time with our campus. 
uh, ministries, that our college folks can be there with us, that we can have a great time together. So help us to, to make an effort to sign up and remind those in this audience that if they don't have the money, we will take care of that. Help them to sign up anyway. We want them there. Uh, and yeah, for prayer night, thanks for uh, mostly for being with us the other night with all that stormy weather, as crazy as it was. And I just pray that you'll be with the folks that were affected by the weather. And uh, But thanks for protecting us. Uh, but yeah, thanks for prayer night this coming Thursday. Just uh, I, I ask that if, if you can be there, you know, to our group here to be there. It's a wonderful time. And, and having time with God is just amazing. So anyway, thank you, God. Thanks for blessing us with this day and uh, with this time together. We love you. Pray all this through Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.